0: I choose to make the rest of my life the best of my life. Louise Hay, you are listening to The Real Estate Investor Show, episode number seven.
1: Welcome, ladies, to The Real Estate Investor Show,
0: providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. Have you ever heard that women are just not as good as men at negotiating? Well, just like many things we hear in life, this is BS. It turns out that women actually have everything they need to be absolutely brilliant at negotiating. We're excited to sit down today with Carol Scott, who is the best-selling author of the book on negotiating real estate. In 2008, Carol and her husband decided to leave their 80-hour work weeks behind. They quit their jobs, moved back to the East Coast, and decided to try flipping houses after watching some HDTV. Well, one thing led to another and another, and today they've done over 300 deals, including their own flips, new construction, rentals, consulting with other investors, and lending.
1: How are you doing, Carol? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, I'm just delighted that the two of you figured out um, the need for this awesome podcast. And I'm just, so happy that you invited me to be part of it so thanks for including me
0: absolutely we're so uh, appreciative of your time and you have some uh, absolutely amazing experience on so many different levels there's so much we could talk about so we'll probably have to have you back on the show
1: so (laughs) So, because we
0: won't have enough time to get through everything but um you know carol's got a really neat background and and how she kind of started on this journey of real estate investing and um you know we want to know you know how that began, but most importantly, like as you jump into your background and, and what have you, what what compelled you to become a real estate investor? You know what what was it for you that got you into this 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 lovely game of real estate?
1: So, yeah, that's that's a great question. So so a little bit of background to kind of kind of paint the picture of the whole thing. So I grew up um, in the Northeast. I grew up in upstate New York, and you know that that up here it's it's kind of the expectation that. You work and you work and you work and you work and you achieve and you achieve and you achieve more and you do more and you do everything and you excel in absolutely everything that you do and so you know we all of us we all grew up with that mindset went to college started i was very fortunate right from the beginning of my my career i was just thrown into like a a pretty high level position right in the very beginning And I started this 15 year career in corporate communications and employee engagement, marketing, those types of things. And I was always traveling. I was always in hotels I work for I work for big-name companies I work for Mattel I work for Bausch and Lam. I was on the leadership team at Franklin Covey the seven habits of highly effective people company um, and then in 2000 I don't know early 2000s 2002 three um, right when tech was getting really big I landed a big role working with the the C level team at eBay and I loved it I mean I was so living the dream honestly it was ridiculous. That's when there was just so much money being thrown around at all the tech companies. So I was literally flying around on private jets. I was wow. traveling the world. I had a team of about 60 people that were in locations all over the place. And there was just unlimited funding, unlimited benefits, unlimited resources. So much fun. But along with that came 80 and 90 100 hour work weeks, week wow. after week after week. And although it was fun and exciting and a huge challenge and super fulfilling, oh my God, I was so exhausted, right? I'm like, I am so, so, so tired. So back in 2008, so my God, 10 years ago, actually, we met in 2007, but my husband, my husband Jay and I met at work and uh, we decided, you know, we were just a good fit. We wanted to get married and have a family. And we were both just like, we cannot continue this. It's just not sustainable, right? I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those moms who drops my kids off at daycare every day. I've, frankly, I'm like, I have worked my butt off for 15 years. I've worked too hard to not to be able to enjoy my kids when I have kids. And I wanted to be the mom who's always at the soccer games. And I wanted to be the mom who's helping out in the classroom. And I wanted to just, I, for my own personal um, satisfaction, wanted to be able to say, I've never missed a game. I've never missed a recital. I've been able to drop them off and pick them up and that type of thing. So we decided to move back. We, we just, long story short, we just, we said, we're done. We are just done with this whole Silicon Valley thing. It was, it was really hard cash flow to walk away from. Everybody thought we were completely, completely insane because we were just, you know, we were doing so well, but we're like, why? There is so much more to life than this. So mm. we decided to just pack it all up we moved back to the East coast since we're both originally from the East coast. And we're like, eh, let's just take the summer off and just see what we feel like doing. <laughs> you know, back then it's like, eh, whatever, we'll see. And like so many of us back in the day, that's when of course, real estate was really big 2007, eight before the big crash, flipping through the channels, watching way too much HGTV. And I'm like, if these morons can flip a house, <laughs> can absolutely flip a house. Come on, just, Literally. Come on. I mean, like, come on, right? It's ridiculous. So, Jason's like, well, and the funniest thing about that is at that point, neither Jay nor I had ever owned a piece of real estate ever. I mean, we were living in California where we were renting like, you know, this itty bitty apartment the size of like my kitchen island for like $4,000 a month. So, it's like real estate was just, honestly, it was unattainable. It didn't even make sense. And so, but we're like, again, we can do this. It's just cool. We're like, my biggest thing was that. I, again, I wanted to find something to do that would enable me, um, you know, a lucrative career, but a lot of, uh, most importantly, it would allow me control over my time. And so I knew that real estate was an avenue to being able to do that. And that's how we got into it in the first place. So I could ramble on forever, but long story short, in 2008, we bought our first house to flip and that we, uh, we'll go on more about that later, but one led to another and another and another, and now... 10 years later, we've done over 300 deals, we've written three books, we consult with people all over the country, we mentor other investors um, on how to get started, how to work their projects, that type of thing. So it's been a crazy adventure, but it's been so much fun. So. Is-
0: I have to ask. So you you, you you flipped your first house. How'd that go? How'd the first project go?
1: Oh my God, it was the worst. The worst, <laughs> worst, worst ever, ever, ever. So before we bought that first one, we were we were so close to getting completely stuck in analysis paralysis, mm. right? So you know how it is. You just, you look at so many listings and you look at so many houses and you just look at all the numbers over and over and over. And then I remember one day, we were driving back from one after we had looked at, I mean, I don't even know how many, probably hundreds at that point. We had looked at so many. And I didn't have a realtor license at that point. You know, I, we had just moved to Atlanta. I you know, I hadn't gone through the, the coursework and that type of thing. And so we we're wasting like every real estate age on the planet's time, like one after the other. And then finally we went to this one house. and I remember we were driving back to our own house from this one and Jay and I are just looking at each other. He's like, do we do it? Do we not do it? Do we do it? And I'm just like, seriously, honey? We've just got to buy a house already. So we're like, let's just do it. What's 60 grand? Who cares? Let's just buy the house and mm-hmm. see what happens. Well, in retrospect, it was absolutely, when you talk about all the things that we now teach people not to, not do, to do, we mm-hmm. did every single one of them. I mean, it was a bad house in a bad location with bad neighbors and just, <laughs> we got bad contractors, you name it. It was It was horrendous. We, after... I think we finished the renovation on this first flip probably mid-October. We had our realtor put it on the market in October, of course, again, not back then knowing that you don't put a house on the market in October ever, worst time of year. We completely freaked out when after three weeks it wasn't under contract because, well, of course, all the flipping shows, they have them under contract the first weekend at an open house. we are like, oh my God, what are we doing wrong? So we agreed to a lease purchase Re- worst decision ever these these tenants move in and then they literally moved out and like literally moved out in the middle of the night like six months later trashed. had to re-rehab the house I mean so that whole process took something like two two and a half years and at the end of the day we somehow still made like fifteen hundred dollars like yes success. <laughs> but the best part of that first flip is even though we made every mistake in the book and then some It was the best learning experience ever. I mean, I am honestly, we're we're both so incredibly grateful that we made all those mistakes because it just taught us so much and we're able to learn from those and make it a successful business because of all the mistakes that we made.
2: That's right. And that was like a get started, right? If you never start, it's just like analysis paralysis takes another level and then it blocks you of taking, you know, even though if it is a good deal, you're going to talk yourself out of it and never, never do it.
1: You got it. And we have met so many aspiring investors along the way who do get stuck in that, right? And we just remind everybody, yes, no deal is better than a bad deal. Absolutely. However, there comes a point when, yes, there, you know, it is so data heavy. This business is so process oriented. It is a science. But there also comes a point when you just have to say, I'm going to take a leap of faith. And the worst possible thing that could happen is X. And is that the end of the world? Probably not. So you just have to get to that point where you're willing to just take that leap of faith and make it happen. Absolutely. And, and, you know, doing that
0: many flips uh, is uh, remarkable on, on many fronts, but the, the fact that you have had to, you know, one of your books is on negotiation. You've had to be able to negotiate a great price. You have to negotiate with the contractors. You have to negotiate on the sale side of it. It's it's all negotiation, even on the rental side. I know you have a rental portfolio as well. You know what are your books? Which I just ordered. I I, I you know I was like I need this book. You know as as we're preparing to interview, I'm like I need this book because you know there are a lot of good things that we do as women and as as investors, but negotiation. I mean, if you pulled a lot of women across industry, I wouldn't say negotiation is going to be number one. If you said negotiation or nurturing. More nurturing, women are more Absolutely. nurturing than negoti- negotiators. So I think that's a huge skill that is completely under uh, appreciated, developed in, in in people, let alone women. So you know, we really I'd love to we love to explore a little bit about not just you telling us what's in the book because I'm gonna I'm gonna read that book um, and learn some things, but more importantly, where do you find with all the deals you've done? Where do you find the key par- parts of negotiation? And then if we could break it down a little bit around giving women out there is. Women negotiate differently than men. So there's a lot of things I want to, we want to ask you about, but let's start with just like, where have you found to be the key parts that you guys have learned? Okay. These are, this is what is negotiable. I mean, everything is, but especially in a flip or rental, like what have you found to be okay? These are the five things you really want to be mindful of that
1: when you're, you're Certainly. Well, it's a little bit of background. I think it's important to keep in mind that as women, again, going back to like the way you're raised and that type of thing, you know, as women, you're raised to be kind, be agreeable, be a pleaser, be the peacemaker, keep everybody happy, right? So, so many people, men and women, frankly, I think Uh, so many people, negotiation isn't at the top of their list of favorite things to do. But I think that holds especially true for women for that reason, right? You're taught, you know, I, you know, this, this is, that's what this whole podcast is about. You're taught that, you know, you just have to make everyone happy. And you, if you're being like, if you're being too assertive, you're a bitch. And if you're just being, you know, if you're standing up for yourself, then that's just not being a nice person and no one wants to work with you and that type of thing. The interesting thing is though, you talked about negotiation versus nurturing, I've absolutely found, I think one of the reasons I've always been such a good negotiator is because I also am a good nurturer, right? If you think about it, the way I like to look at it is to be a good negotiator, you just have to be really good at building relationships. If you can gain somebody's trust and you can really understand, which we as women just do naturally, you're good. If you're a good listener, if you are really tuned in to people's feelings and emotions, if you're emotionally intelligent, that's, that is such an absolutely important factor to being a good negotiator, right? So in any type of situation, for example, one of my favorite parts of our business, um, you know, my husband and I run our business together, but I am by far the one who's, who's so much stronger in finding the deals. And that's because we've been fortunate over the past 10 years, frankly, we have people coming to us all the time, you know, do you want this deal, do you want this deal? We're very fortunate to be in that position now. But when it comes to finding new deals that people don't bring to us, that is really all me. And why is that? Because I'm out there every day when I'm talking to people, when I'm at the gas station, when I'm at the grocery store, when I'm at school, when I'm doing whatever, I'm always talking to people. And I'm always just chit-chatting and finding out what makes people tick. And I take, take a real interest in, in what's going on in their life. And the next thing you know, you know, we'll be at a job site, for example, just checking in on something. And there's a neighbor that walks by and I'll just start chit-chatting. Next thing you know, I'm buying the neighbor's house four doors up the street because they have trust. They know that they can, you know, they, they know that... They've built some type of um, relationship with me in that they would rather deal with me than some other random real estate agent or list this house or whatever. So I would say the first thing to remember. Um, and being a good negotiator is to not is to not feel like everything has to be like a hardcore you know hard nosed negotiation. In the end of the day, you want to create a win win scenario for everybody, right? It's not it's not a successful negotiation if one person is super happy and one person goes away with a sour taste in their mouth because you get so much more you get such better results over the long term if people know they can trust you and work with you and they wanna keep coming back for more and more. So like I said, number one is just build those relationships. I would say number two is remember, and you mentioned this a bit Liz, just remember that you can negotiate absolutely everything. And I very highly recommend to people who aren't necessarily comfortable negotiating and want to build on your negotiating skills, I recommend to people just get in the habit of negotiating everything. My friends laugh at me like crazy because we'll be shopping or whatever, we'll be at the store. And I say I find like a pair of boots I want. I will, I just won't pay, I just won't pay full price. It just doesn't happen. I'll go up to the register and I'll be like, oh, do you have any you know, do you have any coupons or whatever? And you know, people are just like, no, I don't have a coupon, but oh, I've got a thing. I can give you 15% off. It is amazing to me like how frankly easy it is to negotiate pretty much everything. And when you do that in your day-to-day life, I think it makes you a lot more confident in your real estate business to remember that, again, people are willing to compromise. They are willing to reach an agreement with you, are willing to come up with a solution that satisfies everybody's needs. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely Absolutely. makes
2: sense. I think that you're touching in a very good point about building that muscle about negotiation I think that a lot of people feel uncomfortable about it and also make a make the assumption that the other person will feel offended if we do because I I do think that there's no empathy or sympathy for uh, the negotiation itself instead of make okay I'm gonna win you're gonna lose and then at the end of the day everybody loses if that's the the mentality I think that the the goal is to create a win-win situation. And I think that what you mentioned about feeling the anxiety about, oh my gosh, I need to negotiate now. And just like doing this, buying a pair of socks or whatever, it just builds that muscle. So do you believe that somebody that was born in a culture, that negotiation, it's not something um, very often... um, that people usually do and uh, they move to another place. I have a lot of friends of mine from other uh, countries that don't negotiate or others that negotiate to an extremely hardcore level. So do you think that in real estate, the negotiation, it is just like taking a shower every day. You do it all the time or there are circumstances where you don't.
1: I think in my opinion, to be a successful real estate investor, you are constantly negotiating. You're always, always negotiating every, you're negotiating constantly with your contractors, with the people from whom you're purchasing houses, with the people who are providing funding for you, with all of those things. And another thing to remember is that, you know, you touched upon so many people in different cultures and people from different backgrounds and stuff are uncomfortable negotiating. That in and of itself, is such a powerful thing to remember when you're negotiating right so if you have built that negotiating muscle and you are constantly even if it's very subtly which frankly it should be if you're being like a hard-nosed negotiator in my opinion especially being a woman you're just gonna turn people off right you've got to you develop that art so that you're you're help you're making the other person feel like you truly have their best interest in mind or your clients best interest in mind and the thing you need to remember is the other person on the other side of the, you know, the 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 imaginary negotiating table, they're probably a thousand times more timid about negotiating than you are, especially if you are constantly doing it. I mean, you, you know, when you're when you um, when you list your own house, for example, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. And and an agent comes and, and brings a buyer, um, you know, brings a buyer forth or whatever, and they come in with the you know the typical lowball offer and this that and the other thing. I find it is so, so easy to spot the inexperienced negotiators right off the bat because they frankly just come in with limited information and they're really hard-nosed about it and they want to act like they're all tough and everything else. And I just, to me, that is the biggest, simplest red flag to say, you have no idea who you're up against because when they're automatically coming in with that, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win attitude, I know. I mean, I hate to say it, but after a while, you've learned every trick in the book, and you learn how to how to break down the how to tear down those walls and really get to the meat of what will make a win-win situation for everybody. So yeah, I think uh, you know. Third thing that's, that's a really good a great way to position it is just remember that the person you're negotiating against, even though I hate using the word against, the person you're negotiating with is probably in most circumstances a much less savvy negotiator than you are. You need to keep that in mind every step of the way. So that, that helps. What's been the, the
0: most challenging situation you've had when it comes to negotiation? You know,
1: what happened? How did you manage it? You know, what, what, you know, what was the outcome? Sure. That's a great question. Um, really, a really challenging one was, um, several years back. We were, we were still living in Atlanta and, um, uh, our close, we were really good friends with our closing attorneys at the time, and our closing attorneys lived like 20, 30 minutes away from us. But just it, it was just it was nice coincidentally because um, the neighborhood in which they lived was also kind of like part of our farm area where we were doing a lot of flips and that type of thing. They were driving their kid to baseball or something one day, and they see there's a big estate sale going on up the street from them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So they go to the estate sale and they start talking to the woman who's there, and it turns out this woman's mother had just passed away, um, and so they, the closing attorney, asked because they knew, you know, for us that this might be something that we were interested in, and so they they got their information, um, you know, gave me a phone call, whatever, and then I a couple days later. Um, reached out to the person who was selling the house. Now, the interesting thing was that when when this woman had talked to our closing attorneys, she was very, very forthcoming about how she wanted to sell the house. But then, all of a sudden, when there was somebody who was actually interested in making that happen, the emotions took over, and mm-hmm. she just turned into she just turned into I want to say like a hard-nosed negotiator. She was just like, "Well, I know my house is worth you know this, that, and the other thing," and Whatever, even though, like I said, a couple days just prior to that, she had already indicated to our closing attorney she was interested in selling the house, and frankly, just wanted to get rid of it. It was just too much for her to think about, and so on and so forth. So um, I was like, you know, I called I called our closing attorneys back, told them the situation. So you know, just to keep them on 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 keep them abreast of everything that was going on. And they're like, you know, whatever, we just wanted to let you know, you know, what the situation was. Well, I decided that my strategy in this negotiation was to really try to put myself in her shoes, right? She's being a hard nosed negotiator, but I remembered she was an only child. She'd already lost her father like many, many years ago. This was like her last living relative, right? So I'm just like, I, I very much was just like, I'm going to really turn on the empathy quotient for this whole negotiation and, and just see what happens. So I decided not to call her back. I'm just like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to. Try to be friendly in this whole in this whole deal. So a couple months later, it was Christmas time. I just wrote her a little card and I'm like, hey, just reaching out. You know, I know it's heating bills are going to start getting expensive because it's winter time and so on and so forth. If there ever if there ever comes a point when you want to talk about selling, that's great. If not, no worries. I hope you have a wonderful holiday time and and I'm so sorry that you're having to deal with the loss of your mom for this first Christmas. Whatever, didn't hear it. Didn't hear it. Didn't hear. All of a sudden March April rolls around the phone rings and sure enough she's like huh I, you know I got through the holidays thank you so much for being understanding empathetic before um, you know I it, now is just the right time so you know so would you be interested and absolutely get back on the phone with you know and it i'll meet you in a day whatever and then she turned it back on again like i'm not ready i'm like oh oh my gosh killing me you are seriously killing me and so we went through this whole thing over and over i'm going to fast forward two years it took me two years of playing this game with this woman but at the end of the day two years later we ended, she, the funny thing is she never ended up calling a realtor. She never ended up moving forward with somebody else. So she was very much, you know, at the end of the day, I realized she just was so emotionally wrapped up in this whole situation that she was a little bit paralyzed with it and couldn't move forward. So I would say the main lesson in this one was frankly just, it was, it was just like patience in the whole negotiation. Cause I could have given up in and we made a ton of money on that one. I mean, it was like it—you almost one of those where you almost feel a little bit bad, right? Because you're like, but she wanted <laughs> the end of the day; she got everything she wanted. That's we awesome. won, so it yeah. was good. But yeah, so it was just—it was tricky in that. I mean, I was just playing, you know, playing part of this whole emotional roller coaster. But it all worked out how it was supposed to at the end of the day. Well, you said a couple—I
0: th- mean, you said a lot of great things there to, to for folks to kind of take and use. But like, you put yourself in her shoes, and then you adapted. To her, Absolutely. And, and so that you said you, you turned up the empathy quotient, yes. and you know, and it's it's really about knowing where you know if you're out if you're listening to this and you're not sure of what your strengths and weaknesses are in your own personality, then that you know you're going to be at a lesser degree being able to know where to shift. Like if I don't know where I'm starting, if I'm too much of a talker, I'm not enough of a talker. It, that's really helpful to know. Like you said, you're you're an empathetic person. That's obvious. Um, without knowing you super well, but you seem like a very empathetic person, but you even were more of that so you can adapt to this woman and that's right. connect with her. Um, so, so you know, I think that's a big thing is know thyself, right? You Absolutely. know, know where you you might not always, um, you know, and Andressa and I play off each other a lot because she's much more direct and I'm more yeah. like less direct. So it really, you know, when I need to be more of that <clears throat> I'm like, all right, Liz, be more direct here, you know, because I don't naturally, I'm not a naturally as direct. I, mean, I can be direct, but it's not my natural thing, not, sure. natural way of being. The other thing you said that I think is a huge part about negotiation is you're in it for the long term. That's right. I mean, two years, right? If, if I'm dabbling in this business and I, I don't know if I'm going to stay, I would have been hard. People are hardcore because who knows where they're going to be in three months? You know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people that come to you. Oh, teach me how, how to flip properties, and they go away. <laughs> like a week. Let me pick your brain. You know, they pick your brain. They take out the coffee, Carol, and not add any value to you. But you know, that's what happens all the time. And I think that's a huge part of this is that you were at it for the long term. So that's awesome. And I think that made a big difference. This woman got that.
1: Yeah, the long term thing makes you know really makes a big difference. Like you said, I like to tell this um, this little story about how we were able to to really to put our business, to, to, to structure our business. I'm I'm, going to veer away from negotiating for just a minute, but I just think this is a fun story. Um, and it, I think it helps kind of set the stage for kind of some of the things we did to our business to make sure that it would be a long term thing. Because again, the entire goal of why we started our business in the first place is so many, you know, women investors do, again, is to create an environment in which you can do it all. So you can have that fulfillment, you can have a lucrative career. But again, to me, my my very most important thing in my world is my family. The four of us who live within these four walls are, frankly, all that matter, and everything everything else is just kind of incidental. So, you know, I that that is the overall goal, and we wanted to ensure that we could, you know, we that we could create a that we could create an environment in which that would last, you know not even five or 10 or 20 years, but as long as we absolutely wanted to and not be done in a year, year and a half. So I I don't have, I wish I had the picture right now, but one of kind of like the the most famous pictures my family knows of me was, um, there's this photo, just picture this. It was in a hospital bed and I have, this was back in two thousand nine. So it was like, it was still like a, it was a pink flip cell phone. And it was like this on my ear. And then there's a little, the little bed tray thing. And I have not one laptop, but two laptops. So I have a cell phone, laptop, laptop, baby on my boob, you know, and this, that was because I had just given birth like three hours prior, right? Like literally Chase was born and we had an we had in our mind this whole ideal, this whole ideal business that we we're gonna create this whole financially free, time freedom whole type of situation. And we're doing so many things at so many times. And all of a sudden we realized, holy crap we just had a baby and we have done nothing to like optimize our business. Here I am. I'm literally, my baby is three hours old. I'm talking to one agent. I'm like working on paperwork for another one. And I'm trying to learn how to nurse my baby. I'm like, this Oh is, my this gosh.
2: <laughs> I can totally down. relate to that.
1: Right. I, we all can because again, wow. it goes back to that whole thing of you just got to do it all. But as like literally that day, was a total game changer. I just looked at Jane. and I'm like, honey, this is not sustainable. This is not sustainable by any stretch. So that, like that literal, that moment is what prompted us to structure our business in such a way that it's now one big system. We started putting all these systems and processes and everything in place so that we could grow our business and scale it effectively without having to be so intimately involved in the day-to-day. So that really varied from, in the very beginning of of this whole concept of why we started this business. Remember, I'm talking about flipping through the shows on HGTV and, you know, it's always the same formula. You know this, right? The guy, the, the man is like, you know, is the one like, Knocking through a wall with a sledgehammer, and the girl's like, Oh, look at this pretty tile. We're gonna fit on this floor. <laughs> You're the real estate agent, and that I'm like, Oh, that looks like so much fun. And I'm like, That's so great. And so, in you know, if, if we went from let's be, be kind of like following that formula, at, you know, at one point to let's figure out a way that I never have to pick out another material for the next 10 years, right? So, we went from you know, I would spend so much time in Lowe's and Home Depot and whatever else designing and making things new and bright and sparkly and shiny and pretty and everyone had to be different and had to have its own like its own like individual flair. So we sometimes like to show people, I think the literally like the next twelve houses we flipped after that. It got to a point where if we couldn't get a photographer out there in time to list the house, it didn't matter. We could just insert from our previous five houses because they're all absolutely identical. We had the same cabinets. We had the same appliances. We had the same flooring. We had the stager do the same exact staging materials. So it was just a system, a process. It was simple, and it got us out of having to be involved in the day-to-day. We used to like to tell our contractors, excuse me, and we use the same contractors for pretty much every project. We'd be like, here's the address, you know, here's, you know, fill out this scope of work. Give you us already a- know what to do. Absolutely. I'm like, don't call me until it's yeah. done. Don't call me until punch list time. So it freed up so much time and it really truly was this huge game changer. So I went from this thing where I wasn't working the 80, 90, 100 hour weeks in corporate America anymore, but I was working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks in my real estate investing business because I hadn't figure out figured out a way to really maximize my time. And thank goodness we figured that out when we did, because now that our guys are seven and eight and it's, you know, it was, it was, of course, you know, as women, we know that when we have kids, there are so such different challenges at every stage, right? Like I remember when there were first babies and you're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, like how do I even deal with a baby and then everything else. And then the baby turns two and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm dealing with all this crazy. And then you're like, oh, it's got to get easier, but it's not easier. It's just different challenges right so now my little guys they're not crazy and they don't need my attention like 24 7 like they did but i've traded that for having to shuttle everybody around to baseball and basketball and golf and lego camp and everything else so it's just it's it's a matter of um, I think one important thing to remember, like in your investing business is to really look for ways that you can truly maximize your time. So developing those systems, developing those processes, developing ways so that you can get out of the day-to-day and spend the bulk and majority of your time on the things that are most important to you is such a huge important thing to make sure you're doing.
0: Question for you too, because you, you know systems and processes are incredibly important and I feel like the same way when we started our, because we you know, started a property management company early on, you know, it was about what's the system to this? You know What's That's the right. process? And then, then how do we get people to do it for us so we're not answering tenant calls and dealing with issues and all the fun stuff that comes into property management? What for you, so you, know, you started, everyone starts with something, one property, two properties. You're, you've done a ton of properties. You teach others how to do this. There was a point where, like you said, you put a system and process in place. What do you think if people didn't do anything else but they did this one system or this one process what would you suggest especially since you know you you, you have both rentals and um, right. flipping but either either way what would you say is that the one you know system that people could take away from this from this call that they can
1: implement especially right.
0: if they're 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 novices and they're they're um, growing their portfolio right they haven't done the yeah. 300
1: absolutely that's that's a great yeah I, a little nugget i think is so absolutely valuable i would say that it would be the system in process of putting together a a checklist a line by line checklist of in a house this whether it's a rental whether it's a flip whatever it is these are what we do to these are what we do to the properties these are th- these are the items that we do to the properties in a bathroom it will be a b c d and e in a kitchen it will be a b c d and e In any type of flooring situation, it will be A, B, C, D, and E. And get it to a point where it is so detailed and so streamlined that if heaven forbid you were to get hit by a bus tomorrow, somebody could find that piece of paper on your kitchen island and say, Oh, I know what needs to happen to all this, and just and it'll just like be smooth sailing and run by itself. So it's again, it's just outlining that scope of work and what the details are within that scope of work to make sure that it's always consistent and streamlined and you frankly just don't even have to think about it.
2: I I started doing my scope of work and started growing and growing. And sometimes you work with folks from other countries that don't understand English. So I added another level. So I take a picture, of of course, the same bathroom, the same tile, all of that. And I put like arrows. Here's where it is. That's (laughs) so smart. And sometimes it makes it very easy for them because they print that out and put it in the bathroom so they know exactly what it needs to be done. Awesome. And sometimes, you know, even though I haven't in writing, they can read completely or comprehend completely. So I added I that recently and it saved me more time than going back there and making them fix it or rip it again. So
1: those are definitely, I agree with you. Those are great tips. Yeah, it definitely works. And you touched on something there. I think that makes sense. Rather than using your time to go back and explain, I've definitely learned, I'm going to go and like cross over personal, professional life type of thing, right? All at the same time that it's, I think that's one one of those Thank God I'm a woman type of thing. Because you're used <laughs> to just being able to take care of everything all the time. Yes. Just so darn good at it. So like in addition to what you're saying as far as just printing out the pictures and people just figure it out because I've got better things to do. I mean, people laugh all the time because my big old purse, I've always got like, I've got scissors, I've got a power cord, I've got like any random, like so much random stuff that's in my big old bag. Because you learn after a while that if you need to go talk to somebody, even if it's something that hypothetically should take 14 seconds, it takes like an hour and a friggin' half because someone's got to tell you about some other idea they have which I'm great for ideas, but seriously, my time, my time is all that matters to me. I'm sorry, I adore you, but I don't want to hear about your sick dog today. And I don't want to hear about, you know, these other 47 things. So it's just, it sounds so terrible, but any way you have to eliminate having to having to talk to people about stuff that's like the same over and over, you know, create the, like carry scissors in your purse. It's really about an hour and a half getting them from someone else when you need them. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. I like that. I like that a lot. So, but, you know, before we have you, um, you know, share a little bit about where people can, you know, connect with you and if they want to reach out and keep, keep in touch, what would you say, being it all you know that's a theme of ours is you know how do you how do you have it all how do you be it all as a woman as an investor as is a you just want to kind of play full out in your life so if you had to say like one thing that you do that you have a way of being or you know what what's your what's your one tip to to the women out there to uh you know who want who want to have it all you know they want to have that financial freedom and have a quality of life
1: absolutely i think my one tip is i'm gonna get like all whatever i don't mean to just keep in mind at the end of the day, this is gonna sound so cliche, but life is so flipping short. You just you have to you ha- I get chills talking about it because I it's just you know we all know so many people that you know there's this wrong and that wrong and the other thing. Just remember what your biggest priority is and remember that you could be gone tomorrow and let that drive every single decision mm. you make. All day every day and it's like yes you want to do it all and you will discover that by prioritizing whatever it is in your life that means the most and being able to say no to the other things that frankly you are able to do everything because the things that really do matter to you they find a way of getting done and the other stuff falls by the wayside so I would say first and foremost just remember that in a heartbeat you could hypothetically get hit by a bus tomorrow. And so just make sure that you're making all of your decisions accordingly so that you really truly are living your life every single day to the fullest.
0: So Carol, you know, as we, as we transition here, where, uh, where could people find out more about you guys get in touch or follow what you guys, you guys have a lot of neat, neat things happening. So where could people reach out to you too?
1: Yes, yeah, So you're always welcome to contact me in my email. It's Carol, C-A-R-O-L. At Lish Group, L-I-S-H-G-R-O-U-P dot com. We also chronicled our first fifty flips on a website called One Two Three Flip dot com. One Two Three Flip dot com, and there's every you know it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's as transparent and real as it ever gets. We tell all our trials and tribulations, and it's it's not a whole lot of fluff. It's not HGTV like reality BS. Thank you. you (laughs) Real as real gets. Um, we have three books that you can buy on Amazon. It's the book on flipping houses, the book on estimating rehab costs, and of course, um, the one most near and dear to my heart, the book on negotiating real estate. So you can buy all of those on amazon.com. Now,
2: Carol, I want to go over the, our what we call fabulous three questions. Yay! Um, Yay! Yeah, I love them. We need yeah. something in there. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so the first one is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read?
1: Great question. This was 20 years ago, like an eternity ago. And I should have looked up the author before I talked to you, but I didn't. But it's called Discover Your Strength. And I think okay. it works, plays really well into something that both of you were talking about earlier. There are it it's it's called the strengths finder. Part of coming with Discover Your Strengths, it, it helps you discover what the neck what the things are that you are the best at, and it helps you learn to nurture those things, and then surround yourself with people to fill in the gaps for the other things that you're not so good at. Because again, uh, and sorry, I don't mean to take so long on this question, but being women, you're just taught you have to do everything, everything, everything so well, and you have to be perfect at everything. Oh, my God. Once I read that book, I'm like, wow, I'm allowed to be just really good at five things. Wow. What a what a <laughs> crazy concept. And it really was transformational. I was like, wow, I'm, I am really good at these five or six things. And I'm just going to build my life according to that and not worry about not being perfect, perfect at everything else, because that's what other people are for.
2: That's funny you mentioned that uh, manless Matt recommended that book to me a couple of days ago and I just downloaded on audiobook. How crazy is that? Awesome. What a coincidence. It is. So the second question is, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life?
1: I'm really lucky. I've always been a morning person. so. I'm always up between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning, and I pride myself in the fact that before my children even get out of bed at 7, I've already worked out, well, of course, to counteract like the two dozen chocolate chip cookies I eat every day, but I've already, I've worked out, like this morning, here's a perfect example. I got up, by 7 o'clock, I was back home, and I had already gone to the gym. I went to the grocery store. I had two loads of laundry done, and I had a pot of coffee on. So by doing all of those things before the rest of the world wakes up, it gives me the freedom to really maximize those six and a half hours during the day when my little boys are at school so that when they get back home at four o'clock, I can 100% be there for them. I don't look at my phone, I don't, I'm not tech savvy anyway, so I guess that doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. but I structure my life so that all all that stuff is done before anybody gets up then I have freedom to do whatever needs to happen during the day. And then I can be 100% mom and wife mode when everyone needs me at night.
2: That's awesome. And the third and last question is, uh, which woman famous or not has inspired you the most?
1: Great question. Um, not famous. I have a wonderful friend named Desiree in Atlanta. She's drop dead gorgeous and she's an emergency room doctor, um, emergency room physician. Um, She, I met her, you know, 2008, nine, um, after, uh, let's see, she got married in 2006 ish, a year and a half later, her husband was killed in a helicopter crash. Mm -hmm. Three weeks after that, she just went in for her annual exam and they found a tumor on her uterus and she had to have her uterus removed. So in the period of less than a month, she lost her husband and found out she could never have children. Wow. Did that stop this girl? No. She just changed her life accordingly. She's just like, this is the suckiest, you know, thing and this is that could ever possibly happen to anybody. And she lives her life just I'm just going to say, she just lives her life better than anybody I've ever met ever. That girl, she has stacked her shifts. She only works like five or six shifts a month. So she stacks them together and she's, she's traveling the world. She takes care of everybody else's kids. She's always like, come on, your kids spend a weekend with me. I mean, she just talk about, talk about living life wow. to the fullest. She's like, this could all be ripped out from me, you know, anytime. And I'm just going to make sure that I live life as if this is my last day every day. She's amazing. Wow.
0: Wow. That's awesome. I might need to move k- closer to <laughs> get down by closer to her. Yeah, oh, that's, that's amazing. Well, thank you, Carol, so much for being on our show and sharing all your uh, wisdom and knowledge with, with, with the women out there that are listening to this. So thank you for being on this, this uh, call with us.
1: Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. And I really, really, really admire everything the two of you are doing. I'm just so excited for where this is going to take you. That's
2: awesome. Thank you very much, Karen. I can't wait for all the things that we're going to all do in the future together. Us too. Have a really good afternoon. Take care now. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes.